And we can say the God who walks with us in the present, not walked a long time ago, but the God who walks with us, we can say it in the present tense because of what we're celebrating today, Easter Sunday, resurrection morning. We celebrate today with the women who arrived to roll the stone away. We celebrate today with Mary who hugged Jesus in the garden. We celebrate today with Peter and John who raced to the tomb, ducked in and went inside just to find empty grave clothes and no body. We celebrate with the disciples who walked with him on the road to Emmaus and their eyes were open when he broke the bread. We celebrate today with Thomas as we sung about today as Thomas placed his hand inside the wounds of Jesus. We celebrate today with the fishermen who ate breakfast with Jesus on the shore after His resurrection. We celebrate today with the 500 people who witnessed Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, alive and walking around. We celebrate today with those who watched Him ascend into heaven right before their very eyes. We celebrate today with all the believers around the world, all the believers around the whole world today who are celebrating these three words. He is risen. He is, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. Some, uh, some of you don't like to clap. That's okay, because we're in church, and you're not supposed to clap, okay? Some of you, it's okay to clap. But here's the deal. I know all of you believe it in your heart, and so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want, on the three, with all your heart, I want you to say those three words. He is risen. On the count of three, all of us together, we're going to shout it out. Are you ready? One, two, three. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles up. To 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 today. And before I even preach this, I want to give credit to two people. Uh, these two people I borrowed heavily from. That's what, that's what preachers say when we steal something. Uh, borrowed heavily from a couple of people that have had a great influence in my life. Uh, one of them that I've read and one I've listened to. And so I just say thank you to F.B. Meyer and to Dr. Jerry Taylor for their thoughts about these scriptures today. And uh, boy, I just have a heart full of wanting to uh, celebrate what, what Paul wrote right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I have a question to ask you before we read, and that is, what is the worst kind of life that you can imagine living? What is the worst kind of life you can imagine living. Maybe you might think of, well, if I was in an accident and I was paralyzed and I could still think, but I couldn't move. Or, or maybe if I was just a, a hypocrite and I was living this horrible double life and, and I just was trapped and I couldn't get out. Or if, if my brain went insane, if I, was, I just had insanity, if I went nuts, if I, if, if I had an addiction that I could never quit and I was just stuck in that addiction through my whole life. If I was a criminal and I was looking over my shoulder all the time, worried about who was going to catch me, or if I got caught and I spent the rest of my life in prison, or dare I say these words in church, for some of you, the worst possible life you can imagine is being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. (laughs) That was for all the Cowboy fans out there today. F.B. Meyer, F.B. Meyer wrote a, a short little book where he talked about the worst kind of life possible to live on this earth, and he called it the self life. The self-life. He describes the self-life 
as having a single focus of gazing on itself. Of having a severe case of protectionism and closed communion with anyone that will threaten its own interest. The self-life constantly pursues glory and honor and privilege and power and fame. The self-life demands its own way every single time. The self-life must have its own opinion stated and everyone else agreeing with it. The self-life must have its own agenda stated in every single meeting and every time I get together with people. The self-life is infected with the contagious virus of pride and arrogance. The self-life is incapable of saying the words, I was wrong. The self-life is incapable of uttering these words, I'm sorry. Except if those words will help protect what the self-life is protecting. And move forward to the self-life's own agenda of influence and power. The self-life will practice kindness and sharing, but only toward those of its own kind. Toward my people, toward my family, my tribe, my heritage, my language, my ethnicity, my shared interests. Only then will the self-life help and share The self-life feels no compassion or responsibility to help those that are outside of its exclusive community. The self-life deceives and lies and kills and cheats and divides and conquers and exploits and destroys and manipulates in order to protect what it is his own. The self-life despises the idea of servanthood, but loves The idea of being served. The self-life detests putting others' needs ahead, but loves being first in line. The self-life cannot stand the thought of losing its place and its power. But the self-life is willing to sit idly by and turn a blind eye while others suffer unjustly. The self-life hates to examine its own self, its own motives, and its own selfish desires. The self-life is quite happy, however, to criticize and condemn others for their shortcomings. An important question, if F.B. Myers is right about the self-life being the most horrible kind of life to live, is who can deliver us from this horrendous, sickening kind of life? Who can free us from the grip that it has around our necks? Who can offer us something better than this sweet-tasting poison that is slowly but surely killing our souls if we're living the self-life from the inside out? Who? Who can rescue us? Let's pray. And then we'll read our text today. Lord God, thank you for our church family. I I really do know, I mean, all kidding aside, seriously, Lord, I want to pray for our teachers. That's so many kids. 
And my heart kind of went out to him. I'm so thankful to have all these kids here. But I pray for our teachers right now. Just help them to be able right now to handle all those kids and, and to uh, be able to teach them about the resurrection. I thank you for their service to do that. Thanks for everyone that's here today, God. For every member, every visitor, every person on vacation, every person who decided today they haven't been to church in a while. I just pray, God, that they would sense your presence, that they would know your love, that they would feel your mercy, your kindness. I pray that for those who've been away from you for a long time, that they might want to come home today. I, we, we've been our, it's been our habit, God, to pray for a specific church, but I just, I just want to pray for all the visitors in every church in Rudoso today. All those who who are showing up and walking through the doors that have not been in a long time. And I thank you for them, God. And I know your puts a huge smile on your face that every single visitor has stepped inside a church building this, this week to celebrate the, the resurrection. And I pray that you would do your great work in every one of our hearts, all of us. We pray for Vicki as she goes this week. Give her power. Give her all the strength she needs. Help her to be healed up completely without a cold or allergies. I pray that you would help her as she gives her talk that she's going to give, that it will be spirit-filled, that people will give their life to Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would go ahead of her and the other ladies that are working. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for us. God, thank you for the power that raised him from the dead. We pray all this through the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone said, Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just before I read this, just before I read this, I just, can you put that picture back for just a second, Twyla? I just want you guys to know this is a painting that uh, one of our members painted. His name is Tony Moreno, and he's a great artist, and he loves Jesus Christ with all his heart and soul and mind and all his talent. And I'm just thankful for you, Tony. Thanks for painting that. It's a beautiful painting. We appreciate you a lot, brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin. Who is that? Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin. To be sin for us. A lot of people like to say, well, Jesus 
on that Good Friday, he carried, he got a big backpack and he filled it up with all my sins and I've got a bunch of them. It'd be a big backpack. And then he filled them up with all your sins and man, I know you guys and that was even a bigger backpack. I'm just kidding. We've all got big, huge backpacks. He filled up this huge backpack of sin and then he, he went up and he carried our sins to the cross. But that's not what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It doesn't say he carried our sin to the cross. It says he became my sin. The one who had never experienced separation from God, guilt, the pain of sin, the loneliness, the shame, the rejection, the horror, had never experienced it, became my sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't think I'd ever seen verse 15 before I began to read some of the stuff that I've shared with you that F.B. Myers said about the self-life. But verse 15 says, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That they should stop living the self-life and begin to live for him who died for them and was raised again. That's what F.B. Myers writes, is the answer to the self-life. It is living the Christ life. What is the Christ life? What is the Christ life? Well, Scripture says we've been crucified with Christ. And Christ lives in you and in me. The life we now live in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and He gave Himself up for us. The Christ life says that I will come with an attitude ready to serve other people, not ready to be served. Why? Because that's what Christ did. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. What is the Christ life? It is praying often to God. God, not what I want. Not what my people think. Not what our tribe says. Not our will, God, but your will be done. Because that's what Jesus prayed on the worst day of his life. That's what the Christ life looks like. The Christ life means that I give away my stuff and I give away my advantages because I believe the words of Jesus that it's better to give than receive. And I know that that's what he did. He gave up. He gave up what he had for the benefit of us. So I want my attitude to be the same as the attitude of Jesus who left heaven. Now, wait a second. Hold on just a second. Wake up. Think about this for a second. If if right now, Jesus came back and you were ushered into the presence of God and you're in heaven. And then you had the opportunity to leave heaven and come back to some of the horrible things that have happened throughout your life. To live among brokenness and broken people and the hell that this earth can sometimes be. Imagine leaving, finally being there and saying, I'm going to leave to go back. That's what Jesus did. 
I want my attitude to be like his. He humbled himself and he got down on the level of other people. He didn't stay up here and say, come on, you know, come on, re- ah, climb a little higher. Come on now, let's go. He didn't do that. He went down to my level, down to our level. He humbled himself. I want to be obedient to God so much so that I would give my life so that others might live. That's the Christ life. Christ gave up all his advantages so that others might benefit. That sounds very hard to live the Christ life. But I'll tell you the reason why it sounds so hard. Because it is hard to live the Christ life. It is not easy to live the Christ life. And Jesus never said, hey, this will be great. This will be wonderful all the time. But here's the thing. It leads to joy. All the difficult taking up my cross and following behind Jesus leads to joy. That's what the Hebrew writer said. He said, for the joy that he endured the cross, for the joy that he would experience. That's what he had his eyes on, for the joy that was set before him. Self-life, much easier. Much quicker, feels good, broad road, great place to walk, go with the flow. The self-life is awesome. It's easy and quick. But what does the self-life lead to? You know, it leads to emptiness. It leads to chaos. It leads to bitterness and confusion. The self-life leads to jealousy, anger, discontentment. The self-life when I'm living for me, lives, leads to frustration, and it is exhausting to live the self-life. Aren't you tired? If you are living the self-life, aren't you tired of living for yourself? Hasn't it worn you out? The Christ life is harder to live. Sometimes the Christ life feels like taking up my cross. It feels like I'm dying to myself to live the Christ life to benef- for the benefit of other people. But Jesus says it leads to full life, to joy, to order, to contentment, to rest. The Christ life leads to forgiveness and peace and fulfillment. So you have to consider today with the help of the Holy Spirit, are you living the self-life or the Christ life? Our text today says that those who are living the Christ life no longer regard others from a worldly point of view. This is one test to find out, am I living the Christ life or am I living the self life? Because those who are living the Christ life don't look at people from a worldly point of view anymore. Why is that? Because God changes our view. He changes our eyes when he makes a new creation. He changes our thoughts about what we see When we look at other people, new creations come with new eyes, the way we see everybody around us 24-7. The self-life looks at others and compares me with them, us against them. Am I better or worse? Am I more or less? Are we prettier or uglier? Are we richer or poorer? Are we smarter or dumber? 
Is that is dumber a word or is it more dumb? In Oklahoma, we always said dumber. That's why I like that movie, Dumb and Dumber, because I thought that's I think that's right. All right, you know, we compare which one, I mean, where am I at with other people? That's the self-life, comparing with other people. The Christ life, the new creation, no longer considers those kind of outward and temporary comparisons anymore. The Christ life has new eyes so that we can see as Paul does. Now listen close. Paul only gives two choices, two identities. Two identities is all that he gives. Each person I look at is either a new creation made alive in Christ through the work that he did at the cross, or that person is still dead. Those are the only two possibilities of identity, Paul says in this scripture. And, I, and when I'm a new creation, my eyes are open. Every single person is either a new creation or they're still dead. Those are the only two choices. No in-between. Well, they're pretty good. Pretty good people. I think they might be. No, they're either dead or they're new creation. That's what Paul says. One or the other. And all of us have to ask the question, am I dead or am I a new creation? Which one? If, we, if, if a person is dead, they're, they're being ruled by the old they're being led around by the self-life and hopelessly and just insatiably, desperately looking for ways to fill up the emptiness and chaos with anything, something that will last this time. If that describes you, if you're like, I'm just looking for the next thing, I'm trying to find something, I can't find it, I can't find what will fill me up, that's because there's not a new creation. It's the old Dead life. It's the self-life. Seeing these two identities with new eyes is a really good thing. And I'll tell you the reason. Because it can produce in all of us, every single one of us, it can produce an urgency inside of me to want to share the good news about Jesus. I'm telling you, that's the only reason that I'm doing this. Because I want people to hear the good news about Jesus. That's the reason. There's an urgency inside my heart. And there's an urgency inside of everybody who's a new creation to share with our neighbors and our friends and our families and our co-workers, even with our enemies as followers of Christ. Because we know that these two identities, new or old, Christ life or self life, carry eternal consequences. Eternal life in the presence of the Father, or what the Bible calls the second death in a place where the fire never goes out. It is possible if we have a new identity for this to produce something good in us, but let me tell you, it's possible for it to produce something not very good in us. These two identities, the devil can slip in and trick us, and it can produce something negative it's possible for us to become haughty, holier than thou. I'm a new creation. I must be pretty special to God, I guess. Maybe that person over there, I don't know if they're a new creation. Suddenly, this self-life can begin to creep back in, even into the Christ life, comparing and thinking I'm superior. But here's the great news of the whole text, because Paul has an answer for that. He says there's only two identities, but he narrows down value even further. There's two identities, but there's only one value. 
one value, one possibility. And we see it where Paul says, Jesus died for what? The word has three letters, starts with an A and has two L's. Jesus died for all. That's exactly right. All are loved, all are paid for, all are desired, all have the same value to God. Life, the life of his son is the price tag that's on every human being in the whole world. Paul says that all of us who are new creations, all of us who have these new eyes, we no longer consider anyone from a worldly point of view anymore. Those old designations, those old categories, those old boundaries and stereotypes are gone. Because he has begun to make all things new. And we now see with God's eyes when we look at other people. Even those who are different from us. We see that Christ has invited all to his table of peace and reconciliation. Everybody. And so we don't try to exclude anyone from communion with God. All are invited. Now some of you who read the Bible a lot. You may say, now, wait a second, I know in Corinthians, Paul said, now, we don't want to take the Lord's Supper and condemn ourselves. We want to make sure we examine ourselves. Very true. I agree with you. That is exactly what the Bible says. But Paul does not clarify exactly what he means by that. I'm going to tell you what I think he means is every time, he he does clarify it a little bit. He says, every time that we take this, Jesus said, remember me. And so it's possible for even a person who's not a believer to come to the table and remember Christ. It may be the very place that that person sees that they are worthy and that they accept God's forgiveness. It may be the place where that happens. We don't try to exclude anyone. That's the old way. That's the self-life. Everyone is invited, male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, black or white, Native American or Hispanic, Republican or Democrat, any other designation you want to think of in the whole world that divides people evaporates in these little word that Paul gives us of three letters, the word all. It all goes away in the word all, and that word is big enough to cover the whole world. Jesus died for all. So I don't need a group, a name, a label to put on you. I don't need to know what news channel you watch. I don't need to know who you voted for. I don't need to know what your political affiliation is. I don't need to know what side of the tracks you came from. I don't need to know what side of the tracks you live on now. I don't need to know what denomination or non-denomination you attend or where you don't attend. I don't need to know how much you read your Bible or if your doctrine is Calvin or Arminian. I don't need to know how much you drink Or if you're a teetotaler, I don't need to know if your personal struggle with temptation is drugs or if it's gossip. I don't need to know if it's same-sex attraction or losing your temper. I don't need to know if it's binge eating or if it's lying. I don't need to know if it's stealing or greed or materialism. I don't need to know if it's cheating other people or judging people or just being a complainer. I don't need to know anything about you except one thing. I only need to know one thing. Are you a human being? Because if you're a human being, then the Bible says that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son for you, and that's enough for me. That's all I need to know. To have these new eyes, 
You are invited to the table of reconciliation today. Everyone. Jesus does not prepare a table that excludes anyone from access to the Father. He doesn't do it. As a new creation, you and I get the great, amazing privilege of inviting others to be reconciled to God. The invitation today is to come back to God. We're not trying to reconcile you to gateway. We're not trying to reconcile you to a group mentality. We're not trying to reconcile you to an exclusive club. We're inviting you to be, well, just walk outside and look at the sky and see how big God is. We're inviting you to be reconciled to the creator of the universe. We're we're inviting you to be reconciled to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the majestic God in heaven. That's who we're inviting you to. If the Spirit today tugs at your heart, I want you to hear these words. Today, today is the day of salvation. You come to him today, and you know what will happen? He will begin to make all things new. That's what will happen. He'll begin to make all things new. Everything. Everyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. And you know why? Because he has justified us by the work of Jesus at the cross. He's sanctifying us by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives today, and he's going to glorify us when Jesus comes back and he takes us to be with him. That's a great day that's coming when the risen Christ, Jesus our Lord, who is alive today, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, when he, that he is going to come back and he's going to get his bride. And the Father is going to make his dwelling among men. He's going to wipe away every tear and he's going to finish making all things new but he can start making all things new in your life today. Today. What's between these two lives? The self-life and the Christ life. What lays between them? The cross lays between them. The resurrection of Jesus Christ lays between them. The love of Christ, his love for you, compels us, compels us to move from the self-life and move to the Christ life. Jesus did all the work for salvation at the cross. He finished it and said, it is finished. What can I do then? Well, you can respond. You can respond today. You can respond right now. You can bring him your sinful heart. You don't have to bring him your cleaned up heart. You don't have to bring him your list of good things you've done. You don't have to bring him your list of all the proper and appropriate things you believe. You don't have to bring him your list of all the things that you condemn and you think are wrong. You just bring him your sinful heart today. Bring it and lay it down at the foot of the cross. He says, anyone who humbles himself, the Father will lift him up. Invite him to live in your heart today. Paul prayed for us to do that. Did you know that? In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed that Christ might dwell in your heart by faith. Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. 
And I'm asking you to open it. And anyone who will open it, I will come in and I will dine with him. I will sit down and have fellowship with that person. You can bring your sinful heart. You can invite him to live in your heart. You can be baptized into Christ today. On the day of Pentecost, the people there, when Peter preached, they were touched. Their hearts were were moved. They were there for a holiday. It was Pentecost. It's a big Jewish holiday. And everybody comes to Jerusalem, and it's great. And everybody got dressed up in their Pentecost suits and all their neat stuff that they were wearing that day. And the kids were cute, and it was awesome. And they were all there for a holiday. And Peter preached about the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And people there, their hearts were moved. And they said, what should we do? They wanted to respond. I want to respond. What should I do, they asked Peter. And he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you tired of the self-life if you happen to be a person who came here today and you indeed are living the self-life? Aren't you tired? Aren't you sick of it? Haven't you had enough? The Savior waits with open arms. And we implore you. We beg you. We ask you. We cry out to you as ambassadors of Jesus today. Be reconciled to God. If you're a human being, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. Respond to him today, whatever way that you need to. We'll be here at the front. Let's stand and let's sing to this great king. Exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted.